Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Let me read it from the New King James. It says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Perhaps the saddest words in the Bible are found there in verse 23 where Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You hear the phrase, and I talked about it earlier, fake news. And sadly, it's true of much of what is printed and broadcast today because we generally slant it towards the bias that we have. If we're biased towards the right or to the left, we tend to slant it either way. So I want to title my message simply this, Eternity, Fact, or Fiction. And if I could put a subtitle into this message, I would simply subtitle it as the three saddest words in the gospel. Depart from me. Depart from me. Is there life beyond this life? Is eternity fact or fiction? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it is appointed for man to die once, but after this, the judgment. I love that verse of scripture. I love the second part of that verse of scripture because it says, but after this. There is an after this. There is an eternity. You're going to spend eternity either in heaven or in a place that was prepared for the devil and his angels that is called hell in the word of God. I personally want to hear the words of Matthew 25, 21, when his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter in to the joy of your Lord. What do I live for? Why do I pastor? Why do I give myself to ministry? Because I want to hear those words one day. Enter in to the joys of the Lord. Last Sunday, I spoke to you about heaven. In John chapter 14, verse 2, Jesus said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus refers to the Father's house as heaven. Heaven is the Father's house. If you remember when he was on the cross, the thief that was on his side, one mocked him. One said, If you're who you say you are, get us down off of this cross. Most likely that thief went to hell. But the other thief who hang, he turned to him and he said, can you remember me? And he repented. And the Bible says that Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. I believe there is an after this. Can you say amen? I believe there's an eternity. As Christians, we battle trials. We're involved in spiritual warfare. 
We face temptations. The Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. We learn in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I want to tell you that this life, this Christian life, is not always roses. It's not always just good times. We're not always just smiling and going along and never having any troubles or trials or difficulties. The Bible says we enter into the kingdom through much tribulation. Through much tribulation. That word tribulation comes from a Greek word that means severe pressure. Many times as believers, we battle the enemy. The Bible said that we battle the flesh, the world, and the devil. I've come to tell you that heaven will be worth every trial. Heaven will be worth every persecution. Heaven will be worth every difficulty. Heaven will be worth it all. Can you say amen? Amen. Every attack, every trial, and every sacrifice. Listen to what the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. We don't earn heaven because we're good. We don't go to heaven because our mom and dad were Christians or we were born into a Christian family. In many cultures, you're considered a Christian if you're just born into a Christian family. In a lot of African nations, Nigeria being one of them, half the population is Muslim, the other half is considered Christian. Now, many of those have never had an experience or an encounter with the Lord. They've never prayed to ask Jesus into their heart. They've just gone through a form and a ritual, and when they were a baby, they were baptized or are confirmed in some way, and therefore they're considered to be a Christian. I've come to tell you that if you're going to be considered a Christian today, you've got to know Jesus Christ and walk with him in relationship. You notice what he said? I never knew you. That word there denotes relationship. It's not a casual relationship. It's not a long-distance relationship. It is a heart-to-heart, spirit-to-spirit relationship that's up to date. Am I preaching okay? We qualify for heaven simply through the blood sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Ephesians 2, 13 says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Heaven will be a glorious place. Think about it. No more tears. No more sorrow. No more death. Streets of pure gold like transparent glass. Walls made of jasper. Gates that are always open because there is no night. Because God himself and the Lamb will be the light. No more doctors. No more hospitals. No more hospital visits. Amen. No more rehab. No more sickness, no more dying, no more sorrow, no more standing at the grave of a loved one and weeping bitter tears because they were stolen from us by death. No more infant mortality. I'm preaching good and can't get no help in here. I'm talking about he's going to wipe every tear away. Heaven is going to be a glorious place. But the best thing about heaven will be Jesus. I I don't know how to identify with streets of gold. I'm just trying to get my driveway paved. Come on, somebody. 
I, I don't know how to identify with walls of jasper and gates of pure pearl. I, I don't know how to identify with the riches and all of those things. I just want to see Jesus. I want to see the one who suffered for me, who died for me, who shed his blood for me. The one who found me in my sinful condemned condition on my way to hell and says I don't want you to go to hell but I have a place prepared for you my son and he redeemed me he saved me he he forgave me and his blood washed me clean and now I'm righteous not because of who I am or what I've done but because of who he is and what he did at Calvary hallelujah 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Ephesians 2, 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Heaven will be a glorious place, a glorious place. But if I preach about heaven, I only preach half a gospel. If I just preach about heaven then I've only told you part of the story. But this morning, I want to tell you the second part of the story. There is a heaven to gain, and there is a hell to shun. Hell is as much a reality as heaven. Dr. Herschel Ford wrote a certain minister had just preaching, had finished preaching a strong biblical sermon on hell. And a man from the congregation said to him later, don't you know that the more up-to-date preachers have taken hell out of the Bible? The preacher replied, they may have done that, but here's the trouble. They haven't destroyed the place. This morning, I want to talk to you about the reality of hell. Not to condemn you, not to point my finger at you, not to come in a condemning manner, but to warn you that there is a heaven to gain. And the way we gain heaven is through the sacrifice the sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus said himself, unless a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. The way you qualify for heaven today is not by how much money you give to charity. It's not by the charitable deeds or the good works that you do. But the way we qualify for heaven is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you redeem this morning, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You're qualified for heaven. And I don't want a single person that I know to go to hell. I don't want a single person that I come in contact with to go to hell. Many of you remember Reinhard Bonnke. He was a German evangelist who went to Africa. And he would preach in Africa and they'd have great signs and wonders and miracles. Hundreds of thousands of people would come to his meetings. And tens of thousands would be saved. And he always said this. He said, we're depopulating hell and we're populating heaven we're depopulating hell and we're populating heaven we need to depopulate hell in greenwood county so we can populate heaven i don't know about you but i don't want a single member of my family to be lost we call that the family circle i want every member of the circle in my family to be found come on somebody in the lord when jesus comes so let me talk to you this morning about what the word of god says not what Tradition says, not what some fable says, not what some story says, but let's look at what the Word of God says about this place called hell. First of all, I want you to note that hell will be a place of departure from the presence of God. In our text, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Now everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, 
who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall not enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name, and then I will declare to them, now notice his words, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I write a blog every week, and I wrote one yesterday, simply this, the three saddest words in the Gospels, depart from me. Hell will be a place of departure. I heard someone say many years ago that hell will be a place of continually going away from the presence of God. Think about that. You are continually moving away from the presence of God. Why is that important? Well, our cry today should be the same as Moses in Exodus thirty-three, fifteen, where he says, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. We cannot live without the presence of the Lord. His presence brings joy. His presence brings healing. His presence brings peace. Acts 3.19 says, Repent therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Without the presence of God, there'll be no joy. Without the presence of God, there'll be no peace. Without the presence of God, there'll be no comfort or healing. Dr. Herschel Ford writes, he said, Hell means separation from God's presence and from God's blessings. He continues, hell means separation from our loved ones who are at home with the Lord. How many of you have loved ones in heaven? How many of you? You have a mom, a dad, a, a sister, a brother, a, a child. Ben and I have a child in heaven. I have a father, a father-in-law. I have precious loved ones in heaven. My grandfather's in heaven today. I don't know that my grandfather, he'd gone to church for many years. I don't know that he'd ever really had an experience with God. So I determined that I didn't want him to go to hell. So I told my church, I was pastoring in Maryland at the time. I said, this week I'm going home. How many of you will pray with me for my grandfather? And I went home and I led my grandfather to the Lord Jesus Christ. He prayed with me and he accepted the Lord. When I talked to him, he was already praying. He was already, God was dealing with him. But I led him to the Lord and one day I'm going to see my grandfather father in heaven hell means separation this is a soul who rejects God this is the individual who chooses a life of sin this individual shakes off and refuses the convicting power of the Holy Spirit this individual becomes gospel hardened they hear the gospel they hear the gospel they hear the gospel but they harden their hearts to it they push it away. They learned how to, to drown out the voice of conviction. They've learned how to just kind of shrug it off. Oh, there are times when they'll feel it. There are times when the preacher will preach and, or someone that's close to them will, who loves them enough to tell them the truth will tell them the truth, but they'll shun it. They'll push it away. They're too busy. They've become hardened to it. Hell will be filled with people just like that. God is love. He's a loving, benevolent father, and he wills that every individual receives the sacrifice of his only begotten son. He takes no pleasure in the words, depart from me. See, we've, we've got this idea that somehow God's up in heaven hoping we don't make it. That he's this mean-spirited, harsh, difficult, you know, uh, fast gun riding at high noon, waiting on you to mess up so he can get you. Oh, no, he loves us. 
And you can't comprehend or understand the height, the depth, or the breadth of his love. He loves us. He loves us in our rebellion. He loves us in our disobedience. He loves us in our unfaithfulness. He loves us when we harden our hearts. He loves us so much that he wants to draw us into a walk and into a relationship with him so that when the day comes that we stand before him in his presence, he will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter in to the joys of the Lord. Listen to this powerful promise in Revelation 2.11. It says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. The second death is the final judgment. Revelation chapter 20, verse 14 and 15 says, Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Hell is a reality. It's a real place. It's not allegorical. There are no do-overs in hell. It will be for an eternity. Hell will be a place of complete separation. The saddest words depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Then secondly, hell is a place of complete darkness. It's a place of departure, but it's a place of complete darkness. In Matthew 25, 30, it says that hell will be a place of outer darkness. I recently read this story. Listen. An ungodly son made his father promise when he died to put a window at his grave because he didn't like the darkness. He wanted the rays of the sun to run down the shaft into his casket. When the boy died, his father did just that. The undertaker put a window in the casket. My friend, there will be no sunlight in hell. Now I want you to see the contrast. No night, the gates are always open. The Lamb of God is the light. The glory of the Lord lights that city. John saw that city coming down. Come on. It was a city of glory. It was the city of God. The Bible said Abraham sought that city whose builder and maker is God. We're seeking that city today. The Bible says we're sojourners and we're pilgrims. And it's a place that's filled with light and filled with glory. Amen. But hell is a place of complete darkness. Dark. The Bible says in Luke 16, 23, it's a place of eternal torment for the ungodly. In Matthew twenty two thirty three, it's a place of eternal punishment for those condemned by God. Listen to what the scriptures describe as hell. A bottomless pit, a horrible tempest, a devouring fire, a place of weeping and wailing, a place where men have no rest. And listen, there's no hope in hell. You can't live without hope. There's no hope in hell. Mark chapter 9 verse 43 says, the fire shall never be quenched. See, we can't do without hope in this world, yet there's no hope in hell. It is suffering, 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 and no hope of escape. There's no song in hell, no joy in hell, and there will be unanswered prayer in hell. Do you know there's going to be prayer in hell? If you look at Luke chapter 16, there's a rich man and a beggar that Jesus talks about. His name is Lazarus. The Bible says he's sickly. He has sores. The dog come and lick his sores. We would look at Lazarus and we would think, why don't somebody do something to help him? But he lived at the very gates of this rich man. And the Bible says that he fared sumptuously. That means he had every advantage. He would probably won the $1.3 billion lottery. Amen. The rich man prays in hell. The Bible says that Lazarus begged for crumbs, but the rich man lived with every convenience of life. And they both die. And Lazarus was ushered into Abraham's bosom while the rich man goes to hell. One great scholar of old said that this was a snapshot, a picture of what's happening in hell. And the Bible said in hell, the rich man lifted up his eyes, 
Let me just read it to you. Luke 16, 23. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. Prayer will go unanswered in hell. Matthew 24, 51 says, Hell is a place prepared for the devil and his angels. Mark 9, 43, 43 says, Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. What does that mean, the worm does not die? Well, the Bible likens you and I to worms. If you go back into Isaiah in the Old Testament, it's talking about humanity. You know what that is? That's the cravings and the lust of this world. That's the cravings and the lust of sin. I believe it's an eternal torment. The word worm has to do with the remorse of the conscience that each man will have for his failure to do what was necessary to escape hell. It is the living consciousness, never dying part of the human being that will feel eternal torments of fire and eternal hell. I believe it's the addictions and the bondages of this life that we will cry out for those things and never be satisfied and we will continually in darkness go away and depart from the presence of God. I know you don't get a lot of shouts when you preach about hell. I understand this is not a feel-good sermon. But I think we preach so many feel-good sermons in the church that the church feels good and the church is not aware that there's an eternity. Here's what the Bible says. Teach us to number our days. Moses wrote that in Psalms. and I, Teach us to number our days, that our days, three score and ten, and if by way of strength, ten more years, eighty years. That's about the lifespan and if you get more than that, you're blessed. This week, I'm going I'm to preach the funeral of a 58-year-old woman that I've known for many years. Maybe 30 years I've known this family and loved this family and been friends with this family. A lifetime friend for Beth and I, 58 years old. The Bible says this in the New Testament, life is but a vapor. That, that's not talking about the young people. That's talking about all of life. It's momentary. It's here one day. It's gone the next it just, time just accelerates. It explodes. So what counts is what we do for eternity. Jesus said we're to lay up treasures in heaven and not on earth. We spend our life trying to get ourselves fixed and comfortable. And man, if I can just get my house paid for, if I can just get my retirement right, and I can just do this, everything's going to be cool. I'm going to get fixed for life. I'm going to just be fixed. In the, and we try to get fixed in this life. I'm trying to get you fixed for the next life, for eternity. So what I do for eternity. You see, God never wastes a moment. Now, this is not in my notes, but I'm going to preach this for just a minute. What counts is what you do for eternity. There is an eternity. And see, we're not in the temporal business. We're not in the entertainment business. We're in the eternity business. And I'm concerned for your soul. I'm concerned for your eternal soul. I'm concerned. You see, you can live and you can live life to the fullest if you want to. You can live it out, try to experience it all, but one day we're going to stand before God and we're going to give an account. What did you do with my son? What did you do when the word of God was preached to you? What did you do? How did you respond to me? Here's the question. Will the loving God really send people to hell? People will ask you that question. What about Osama bin Laden? How many of you think he went to heaven? Anybody? According to his religion, he did. How many of you believe Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Pol Pot? How many of you believe they went to, to heaven? Well, if there's no hell, where did they go?
People who don't believe in hell will ascribe those individuals to hell. The child molester, the one who abuses children, the murderer, someone who's murdered, someone who's done something vile that we call as vile. We'll, we'll condemn those individuals to hell. But will a loving God really send people to hell? The reality is God does not send people to hell. We decide. Let me finish this up. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Who goes to hell? The unsaved. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Ezekiel 18.20, the soul who sins shall die. Jesus said more about hell than heaven. Why did Jesus warn us about hell? Because he doesn't want you to go there. When he was on the cross, when he was dying in agony and pain, it was for you. It was for me. We used to sing a song years ago. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. I was on his heart. Why do we preach about this horrible place? Why am I taking this Sunday morning and talking to you about a place called hell? A great many Christians don't want to hear about hell today. But we must preach on hell to awake sinners. We must preach on hell to warn those who are lost. But here's the good news. You don't have to go to hell. God's made provision in his words. He's provided a means for salvation. That's what the redemption is all about. See, redemption's not so I can get a new car. Redemption's not so I can walk in perfect health. Redemption's not, not just for the benefits of, for me. There are great benefits. Thank God for that. There's healing provided in redemption. There is blessing in redemption. But redemption is so that you and I can fulfill our eternal destiny as sons and daughters of God. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord's not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why has Jesus tarried his coming? Why has he waited so long to come? Listen, I grew up in this thing. I remember as a young boy sitting on pews. I remember, I'll never forget this. We was in a small sanctuary in our home church. And we were in a watch night service on a New Year's Eve. We used to pray the old year out and pray the new year in. Anybody remember those days? And I remember as a young boy sitting about the third from the back. You knew I was Pentecostal because I was in the back. You always know you're in a Pentecostal church because if you have 280 people, 200 of them are on the back three pews. Amen. I'll never forget a lady by the name of Becky Jordan got up and she said to the pastor, she said, I believe this is the year the Lord's going to come. And I sat back there thinking this is the year the Lord's come. And conviction got a hold of me. Spirit of God got a hold of me. And here I am many, many years later and the Lord hasn't come. Why has the Lord not come? Because there's some that he wants to be saved. Maybe it's praying mamas and grandmothers and granddaddies that are crying out and interceding for lost children. And maybe the Lord is delaying his coming so that they can come in and be part of the family of God. Maybe it's because of prodigals who've walked away and backslidden and they're in a place where they need to pray and get restored to God. 1 Timothy 1.15 says Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I love this. Psalms 145.18 says... The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. John 6, 47, he who believes in me has everlasting life. And then Romans 5, 6, and 8, for why, when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let me close with this story. I found this and I thought, man, this is so fitting. It's simply titled, Literal Hell. When it comes to believing in hell, I think of the story of Dr. Maurice Rawlings, a noted and celebrated coronary care doctor who writes of his conversion to belief in a literal hell in his book, Beyond Death's Door. In 1977, he was given a stress test to a man who was having chest pains. In the middle of the test, the man dropped dead in Rawlings' office. Rawlings and several nurses began to work on him. Dr. Rawlings began external heart massage while a nurse began mouth to mouth. The patient would regain consciousness and then while Dr. Rawlings reached for equipment would die again. Each time he was resuscitated, he would scream, I am in hell. Dr. Rawlings thought he meant he was in pain from the CPR, but then the patient gave a strange command. Don't stop. This shocked Dr. Rawlings who said when most patients recover, they tell him to take his hands off them because he's hurting them. Rawlings describes a man with a genuinely alarmed look on his face. He had a terrifying look, worse than the expression seen in death. This patient had a grotesque grimace expressing sheer horror. His pupils were dilated and he was perspiring and trembling. He looked as if his hair was on end. Then still another strange thing happened. The patient said, don't you understand? I'm in hell. Each time you quit, I go back to hell. Don't let me go back to hell. This incident was so powerful that Dr. Rawlings would become a committed Christian and he wrote a book chronicling patients who after being resuscitated told stories of demons, pits, and fire. And he concluded by saying, now I feel assured that there is life after death and not all of it is good. If you walk the streets today and you talk to people, most will tell you they'll go to heaven when they die. Most will tell you that they believe in a heaven and they believe in an afterlife, but very few of them will know what it takes and what it means to truly go to heaven. I've buried a lot of saints in this church. I've stood behind this desk and other desks and I preached the funeral of their departure. And here's the truth. Funerals are for the living. I'm preaching my funeral right now. My life is a witness to the day that I will depart this life. D.L. Moody says one day you'll open the paper and you'll hear that I've died. Don't believe it. Don't believe a word of it. I'll be more alive than I've ever been. I'll be alive in the presence of God. Stand with me.